pages of notes on this, trying to cut it down to a preachable sermon and keep it in one week. I can get rid of the notes, but I can't get it out of my mind. So I have no idea just when we'll get done, but we'll go ahead and get started. Amen? I want to start with a question. How many of you in here could use some more money? That's not a trick question. If you don't have your hand up, you'll lie. How, how many of you in here know that 2019 could stand to be a better year than 2018 was if money was no option? If we just had a little bit more of it. You know, money is a, is a funny thing. To, to most, certainly, Americans, it's as though it's the most important thing in the world. And there's no doubt money can buy a lot of things. Money can buy a lot of stuff, can, can produce a lot of things, but what money can't do is buy the most important part of anything. I have some examples. Money can buy you a marriage, but it can't buy you love. Money can hire a doctor, but it can't buy you healing. Money can buy you four years of college, but that won't give you an education. Money can take you pretty much anywhere around the world. If you've got enough of it in today's economy, it might could even take you into outer space. But money can't take you to heaven. Money can buy you all of the materialistic pleasures that this world has to offer. But money can't buy you happiness. Money can provide you the best of hospital care. But money can't buy you life. Money can cause you to have a lot of acquaintances, but money can't buy you real friends. People think that in money lies security, but money is just like every other worldly thing. It will fade away. I want to bring a message this morning that I truly believe can help pretty much everybody in this building in an amazing way. If we just pay attention to what God has to say. I want to bring a message entitled, When You Can't See Your Way Out. God, I pray you'd move in this place this morning. God, I thank you for the message. I thank you for the word. I thank you for what you've taught me, for what you've shown me. And God, if we're here for 30 minutes or three hours, I pray that your presence would move in here, God. I pray you'd speak into the hearts of the listeners. God, I pray you'd help us, Father, to hear from heaven this morning. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has a lot to say about money. More than 100 verses in the scriptures that talks about money. The sad part is, for most people, the Bible is not only the last place that they turn to for answers for all their other problems, but it is the last place that they turn to for solutions to their financial problems. But the fact is, God created man. God created the stuff, and God created the concept of money. God has already written the plan. He's already told us how to negotiate things, how to handle things. He's told us how we are to live our lives in every way. He's told us how we are to handle our financial situations. God can see eternity in both directions. There's nothing that he can't see that was before we ever got here. There's nothing that he can't see in billions of years in every direction. God can see everything in all directions. There's a story about a group of firefighters years back. They were caught. They were fighting a forest fire. And as they were fighting it, it became overwhelming. And they realized that they, they were going to have to get out. They began to try to retreat, but the fire was on this side. And they began to try to go this way. The fire was on this side. And what they found out is while they were so involved in life, while they were so involved in fighting the fire, while they were so focused on the situation at hand, they didn't realize that the situation had completely engulfed them. The fire was all the way around, and in their eyes, they were going to die. They had no way out. The planes that fly overhead that dropped the chemicals to fight the forest fires obviously wasn't helping at that time. They flew over low, and they dropped off a bunch of pamphlets right where the firefighters were. They wanted to make sure that the pamphlets got in their hands. The reason why they dropped the pamphlet off was because overhead they could see the danger that they were in. Looking down, they could see the problem, and they could see that they had no way out. They had watched them as they tried different directions and realized that they were trapped. 
but from overhead looking down, they could see that there was a little narrow corridor that led through the rocks, that if they would go that way, it would lead them to safety. And the pamphlet simply told them the directions, go this way, go to here and follow this, and it will take you to a path that will lead you to safety. God is the same way in our lives today. They followed the plan to perfection, and it led them to safety. God has dropped down from heaven a love letter that tells you and I how to live our lives, that if we would follow that plan completely, God would lead us to safety. But we spend so much time trying to find our own way out of our own situations. The solutions to all of our problems have been sent down from God. Even though we have the answer right here in the text, most people spend all their time looking for their own solutions to their own problems. We live in a world today that is financially strapped. Amen. That's exactly right, preacher. If you ain't got an amen in here, you can amen that one. We live in a world that is financially strapped. People are literally hanging on by a thread. They live from paycheck to paycheck. If they were to miss a single paycheck, the wheels would fall off of the wagon. It would be completely devastating. They have no savings account. They have no retirement account. They have nothing put back for a rainy day. They have nothing put back for problems. If the car breaks down, if the refrigerator goes out, if the washing machine quits, they have no means by which to get it fixed. There's nothing put back to take care of it. They literally are going from paycheck to paycheck. Now, if the things break down, they're going to get it fixed because they have to as part of life. Now, may not get to make rent that month, may not make the house payment, May not be able to pay the power bill this month. May, maybe may not pay the cell phone bill. What? No, that was stupid. They're going to pay the cell phone bill. <laughs> they might be homeless. Still have a cell phone. That was going to get something else have to get put out. But the bottom line is something would have to be put off in order to make repairs for what's broke down. For most people, the cost of living has nothing to do with what stuff costs. Cost of living means this is what we make. They live on 110% of what they make, and that's what they consider the cost of living. People live on plastic today. Everything's about the credit card. Most people have balances on credit cards that they're never going to pay off unless something changes. Amen. That thing that was in the store five months ago that you just had to have, it was on sale. It's never on sale. I've been wanting it. Now it's on sale. But the only way I can get it is to pay for it with a credit card because Lord knows we don't have any extra money. So they put it on the credit card. In the last five months, they paid more in interest than what the item would have cost before it was on sale. But they just don't look at it that way. According to industry research organization, credit card companies in 2016 pocketed over $163 billion. $63.4 billion of that was in interest alone. We paid it. That was in 2016. Total revolving debt is now at $1.04 trillion. It's the highest in American history. 2008 was one of the most devastating years in the history of American terms, certainly within recent years of financial resources. 2006 was devastating. It really hit home by the time we got to 2008. There was a financial recession. People lost their money. People lost their savings account. People lost their homes. People lost everything. They worked their whole lives. Some very successful financial people lost literally billions. and They lost all their stock. They lost everything that they put in for. 2008 was devastating. Therefore, the revolving debt was out the roof because everybody was living on plastic. You're just trying to get by, stretch it out. Make it, can, can, I, can I make another correlation? If I'm not bad mistaken, you can check right over here, and I think you'll find this probably right. But somewhere right there around 2008 was the highest number of salvations ever in 21 years of judgment journey. God has a way of getting the country's attention. Here's what's bad. That was in 2008. Now things are supposedly better, and this year we broke the record. It's the highest ever revolving debt, which is credit card, revolving, reoccurring debt in the history of America. Magnify Money ran the numbers and said that credit card borrowers have paid $104 billion in credit card interest fees over the last 12 months alone. That is up 11% from 2017. That is up over $40 billion from 2016. Debt is only going to become 
more expensive as the Federal Reserve continues to increase the interest amounts. It's only going to get worse. If you have unpaid credit card debts, let me just go ahead and state the obvious. You're probably never going to pay them off, and you are in financial trouble. Does that come out of the Bible? Well, I'm getting to that. Actually, it does. I, I, I'm telling you, God put me here to be a pastor of this church. And in that, he told me to teach God's word and to give you all the help that I can. And all I'm trying to do this morning is help God's people find a way out. I know there's some of you in here who, like myself, you read Dr. Adrian Rogers' devotions every morning. And about two and a half, three weeks ago, there was a devotion there called Wrestling with a Python. Anybody read that? Wrestling with a Python. Said a lady in South Africa was walking by and she saw a little snake's tail by a hay bale. She got her a stick. She was going to catch it by the tail and she was going to kill the snake. You know, in other countries, well, actually in America they eat snakes too, but not quite as much because we're not quite as hungry. But most places we'll eat a snake. Amen. Anything else to get the hands on? So she grabs that little snake's tail and she jumps out going to kill it. But what she didn't realize was that it was a 17-foot python. In just a minute, the snake had her. Had a man not come to a rescue and, and killed the snake by crushing his head, the snake would have crushed the woman. That's what sin is in the life of the Christian. It looks like just something little small and some little innocent something, but then it crushes us under its weight. The little pet sins, the little, the little white lies, the little, the little marginal truth. God asked the question, Malachi chapter 3, he said, will a man rob God? God asked the question, not me. Verse number 8, you've robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? God answers the question and tithes an offering. Verse number 9, he said, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Do you notice the two personal pronouns in that? Ye and me. That's the two emphasis there. God said, it is you, talking to us, readers of his word, his children, it is you that has robbed me. If it didn't matter to God, anybody paying attention? If it didn't matter to God, he wouldn't have bothered to mention it. So if you put it in the Word, then we probably ought to pay attention. Amen? When we as an individual rob God, we set off a chain reaction of robberies. When we rob God of his tithes and offerings, we rob the church of the ability to minister to others in the name of Jesus. We rob the world of the gospel from the effectiveness of the church. We rob the world of missionaries so that they can't afford to go around the world and preach the gospel the way that God has called them to do so. I can give you a perfect example right here in the house. We voted several months ago in 2018 to upgrade this building. We want to redo the stage and, and fix this front. We want to paint the building, change the curtains, put some sheetrock here, modify it, make it a lot nicer. We talked about putting in theater seating, a lot more comfortable seating for you. But not only that, it makes it a lot easier for you to get in and out because they stand up and fold back. And it's supposed to increase our seating capacity. We voted to knock the wall out of the front of the church and expand the foyer of the church to push that out. That is very much needed. We, we need a much larger foyer for the things that we do. We voted to greatly increase the size of the ladies' restroom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Ladies, I have your full support to make the ladies' restroom very nice and do it when we have events. So there's not a waiting line of ladies to get in both bath bathrooms, and we have to send the men to the nearest pine tree. So, so we want to increase that. We, we were putting in a very nice nursing center for ladies that, that have a baby there's actually a place it's not a concrete block wall with a wooden rocking chair and it looks like we put you in prison for all of eternity just because you want to nurse your baby we want to put in a very nice nursing center and I can tell you those are things that desperately need to be done those are things that can be done you may or may not know it but I got news for you Faith Baptist Church can't go to the bank borrow a million dollars a person has to go to the bank borrow a million dollars Faith Baptist Church is an institution that has to be assigned to somebody's name. All the credit cards of this church have to be assigned to a name. I've already been to the bank. Yes, I can borrow a million dollars in the name of Faith Baptist Church. Sign the note and they'll help us build the building. And we can. I tell you, I've looked at the numbers. It would be tight sometimes during some months. But we could do it and we could make the payment. It might push us sometimes, but we could make the payment. But here's the problem. I'm not going to take God's church. And make us a prisoner to a debt so that we can't be a minister to Troop County, Georgia. 
You, 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 might, you, might, you might just... We can make the payment. But if we make the payment, we can't give away 700 barbecue meals just because we want to. Right up here at the corner where we preach the gospel. But we led 45 people to the Lord handing out barbecue this year up here on that street corner. If, if, we, if we're just making the payment, we can't do He's Alive for free admission because I don't know what it's going to be. A couple of years ago when I looked, I know we spent $55,000 putting on He's Alive. I know we're, gonna, we're talking about rebuilding the stuff this year and rebuilding the props and those things, which means it's going to cost a lot of money again, and we're going to do it for free admission again. And I pray the building's full all four nights. But if, we, if we're strapped, then we can't afford to do those things without getting some type of admission. And we had over 350 souls saved last year, and he's alive. You want another one? If we are so financially strapped that we can't pour money into the community, I don't care what lies the devil's telling the world. I don't care what another church has got to say about us. I don't care who wants to stand behind our back and talk about us. And we just do judgment journey to make money. The books are open. Miss Sylvia will let you look anytime you want to. It's pretty simple math. We had a little over 14,150-something people came. If you averaged $10 a piece, that'd be a little over $140,000. But the first night... 1,800 of them came for a dollar. The second weekend, they came for $5. So it wasn't even a $10 average, but just say it was. Then we made 140 something thousand dollars. We spent as much as $200,000 putting on Judgment Journey. People that think we're doing that to make money have lost their ever-loving mind. We do that because people are dying and going to hell, and we want to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an effective ministry. And you lay out there in the streets, you lay out there in the cold, you give up your time, you give up your resources, you give up your talent to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be a shame to be so strapped to a payment that we couldn't have that kind of ministry? We couldn't have a Christmas parade float, brother. No way we could put that kind of money into something like that. And there's people around this town still talking about that. There's no way we could do concerts and bring things in and pay that kind of money. I paid $20,000 to bring that Christmas concert in here a year ago. People want to know, is it worth it? Yeah, it was worth it. I stood up there and I watched the whole community fill this place up and come together. And they worshiped our Lord and Savior. It was worth it to me just to see God praised. But if we're so strapped to a financial debt, some of you know what I'm talking about because that's where your life's at. You're so financially strapped to your debt. You're so financially strapped to your credit card debt, to your house debt, to your car payments. You're so strapped. You can't be involved in a lot of the things of the church because you're so strapped to debt you can't help. I can't allow God's church to be put into that kind of position. I don't allow my family to be put in that, and I sure won't allow God's church to be put in that. God, help us. When we rob God, we're robbing the church, and we're robbing the community. But if none of that matters to you at all, you are robbing yourself. Because God said, all I want to do is open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there not be room enough to receive it. So not paying tithes the most just looks like a little sin, you know. Nobody would ever know about that. It's just kind of behind. It's my own little private thing. But it's no wonder why people are crushed under the weight of things. It's no wonder that people are controlled by money under the weight of what looked to be like just a little tail when we bit off those financial obligations. But now it is the weight of the world that we're carrying on our shoulders because we just can't seem to get them paid off. You can say what you want. I believe everybody in this place, at least 99% of us, has at some point been under some financial strains. It may have took 2008 to put you there, but I believe all of us have been there. And you understand what it's like to have the weight of something on your back and you have no idea how you're going to pay it off. How you're going to get out. You're going to lose your house, your home, your children are going to be on the street. How are you going to get out from this? God has allowed us to be there to teach us some stuff. Giving is like praying. It's a commandment that God gives us to do and when we do it, it comes with rewards. I, um, I, I'm going to tell you, Giving to God is not a burden. It's called living your life in perfect harmony with God. It's just part of the commandments. There are some laws that God gives us there in the Word. And if we live according to those laws, then God will bless back according to His Word. Amen? Everybody believe that? 
Anybody know that there are laws in God's Word? And that's how His children are supposed to live. Here's an example. There are laws surrounding this piano. If I play within the laws of this piano, I can make beautiful music. Y'all want to hear it? If you don't know the laws, all you can make is a bunch of noise. Tim knows the laws as well as anybody I've ever known. Maybe Rick Massengill, Robin's uncle, um, like, like Tim. They, just, they seem to be born into this thing. They, they, they seem to be intertwined. The deal is they know the laws perfectly. And they can sit down right here. Are you, are you listening? They can make beautiful melody, not only for them, but for you. What God does in them and through them by staying within the laws is a blessing to everybody around them. Tim may know the laws, but if he comes in here and does like me, all he's going to make is a bunch of noise. The same thing is true for the child of God. The same thing is true for the finances. You're living out of harmony with the will of God, so that's why you live in so much turmoil. That's why things are so upside down. That's why you're upset with things and everybody around you because we're not living in perfect harmony. We know the law. We just aren't living within the law. People say, I don't understand the Bible. Well, let me give you some free advice. The best way to understand the Bible is to obey the Bible. Somebody just thought it. I know you did. How do I obey what I don't understand? You understand some of it. You do the parts you understand. You obey the things that you do understand, and God will help you understand the rest. People want to spend no time in prayer. They want to spend little, if any time at all, reading God's Word. They don't want to do the things that they already know the book says, and then they claim that they just don't understand the Bible. Well, it really is this simple. Pray first. Ask God to help me understand what I'm about to read. Read God's Word. You find something you don't understand. That means God just showed you something that He wants you to understand. So therefore, you take what it is that you don't understand. You study that. You put as much into it as you can. You pray and ask God to give you the wisdom to understand that in His time. And then you go about your way. And you do exactly what you do understand God wants you to do. And then God will begin to help you understand the things that you don't understand. I want to give you four principles this morning on God's Word about giving that not only teaches us what to do, but it teaches us the value of it. Number one, God shows us that giving is to be a priority. For most people, the reason they can't give is because they're going to give out of whatever's left over. Oh, oh, oh. And if you like most checkbooks, there ain't never nothing left over. So there ain't ever nothing to give. Which means the money is to come off the top according to God's principle. He says that it is to be a priority. We are to give from the first fruits. Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God isn't asking you for money right there. He's telling you to do this so that he might give you something. So that your barns will be full. So that your, your, your wine cellars will be full. A lot of Baptists said, hey man, I like that part. The Catholics are all on board that means i'm gonna have more wine god's just telling you 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 do i'm sorry y'all stay with me right here i mean get out of there it's, it's okay somebody might have had a glass this morning i ain't throwing no rocks out there i'm just god god's telling you don't go out there and pick the fields and, and take all the money and consume it upon your lust and then hope that maybe there's some late bloomers in the field and if there's anything left i'll give you a little portion of that god he says when you pick the field take the first 10 percent of that and give it to god not after taxes not after your bills are paid. Not after everything's been pulled out. Not after you put money in savings or retire. Well, most people are like, what is that? What, 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 what is savings? In, in God's word, God comes first. In God's economy, God comes first. We must put God first in everything that we do. Now, y'all don't write me off. No, right, I'm just, I'm just trying to help you. Matter of fact, I owe you an apology. Let me, let me go ahead and tell you. I, I have been next month. Um, God has given me the incredible, life's greatest gift that he's ever given to anybody, the incredible opportunity to be pastor of this church for five years.
four times I've preached on some method of tithing, some form of help. I, I may have mentioned it from time to time, but only four times have I ever tried to help you understand God's principles. I read a blog a few months ago from Tom Rainer, and what he basically said is pastors like me are the problem. He said, churches are going through financial difficulties and the pulpits remain silent about trying to help God's children out of their financial situation. Churches are going through financial devastation and the pastors and the pulpits remain silent about trying to help God's people understand God's principle as it comes to money. It said that pastors simply are not teaching what God's word says about finances. So my apologies to you. Because I assure you, I know what the word says. I know the difference in living in line with it and out of line with it. And this morning, I just want to try to help you. The Center for Faith Baptist Church, we're doing pretty good. You just heard me talk about the ministries and all the things that we do. We could do more. We have 90 missionaries. I'd love to have 190. For everything that we did last year for God and Troop County, I'd love to do three times that much. I'd love to put more energy instead of if we saw 15,000 souls saved through the ministries of Faith Baptist Church, I'd love to see 50,000 souls saved this year. We saw 4,500 in Judgment Journey. I want to see the year when I see 10,000 souls saved. We talked about the only way to do that is to have twice as many people put on two trails at the same time. How y'all like that one? Y'all have no idea how big we dream. Wow, like I ain't even signed up no more. <laughs> I just want to help you live a life that is completely surrendered to the will of God. So that God might fulfill this promise to you and open the windows of heaven. That's all I want for you. It's for God to bless you. For those of you who think this is an Old Testament commandment. Number one, you're just looking for a crutch to justify robbing God. Number two, you've not read your Bible. It's that simple. Jesus talks quite a bit in the New Testament about the offerings. He said in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, you pay tithe and men of a niece and coming and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. So he's saying that, that you, you have you've, you've put your tithes in, but then you've committed or you've left off judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not leave the others undone. What God is saying, you're supposed to keep the whole counsel of God. Not just the big things that everybody sees, but the little things that nobody knows about. You're supposed to keep all of them. How many of you believe that paying taxes is a New Testament thing? Y'all don't own a house in this county. How many of you believe that paying taxes is in the New Testament? 2019 in Troop County, Georgia, you're going to pay taxes. Anybody believe that? Well, y'all don't eat. Y'all don't buy gas. You can't have no land in this county if you don't believe in paying taxes. The bottom line is Jesus said in Luke, matter of fact, it's written in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but in Luke chapter 20, verse 25, it says, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which be Caesar's, and unto God the things which be God's. They had to pay taxes unto Caesar just like we do. We have Caesar LaGrange. We have Caesar True County. We have Caesar Georgia. We have Caesar U.S. We got lots of Caesars. And God says, hey, if you live in a place and, and taxes are due, pay your taxes. But he also said, pay your tithe to your local church. And pay your offerings unto the Lord. I'm just trying to help you be financially successful. There's those who say, I can't afford to pay tithes. Used to those old saying, people say, I can't afford to pay tithes. And the answer was, you can't afford not to pay tithes. Well, that, that still remains true. But it is true for some of you. You can't afford to pay tithes. I get that. That's where you are. But God's going to help you. God's going to get you out of that. If you will surrender everything to God, and you'll be what God tells you to be and do what God calls you to do, God's going to help you. I, we, have a, we have a financial class. We'll do what we can to help you here. We have a financial class starts next month, first Sunday of February. Brother Rich Pike will be preaching at Rich Pike. Raise your hand. Stand right down the door, chairman of the deacons. The Sunday school room is right straight under my feet. You go to the back of this building, walk in those double doors. It's called the Rock Sunday School Room. He's going to start, and we're going to teach it on Sunday mornings during Sunday school at 9.30. And he's going to teach it 7 o'clock on Thursday nights, 
6.30 on Thursday nights, also in the Rock. So we're going to start this class. It's a financial class that, that begins, um, matter of fact, right over here in this area to my left, to your right, there's going to be a meeting right after church. Rich is going to meet with everybody because you need to sign. If you have any questions at all, if you think you need any help financially at all, if you need any kind of assistance, anything can help, you need to just be at the meeting because you've got to sign up. There's some workbooks and things involved. There's even some fees involved. We'll do whatever we can to try to help you because I want everybody that even thinks this can help you to take this class. Amen? It, it's just put those. Now, let, let me just give you, here's some of the titles of some of the classes. Leave your money stress behind. Anybody want that one? Debt is a thief. Take back your life. Debt is the thief of your future. Sounds like some pretty good classes, doesn't it? Fear is the enemy of hope. I like this one. If you grew up in my world, you heard a lot. Keeping up with the Joneses. Anybody heard Keeping up with the Joneses? Y'all know what the title of this one is? The Joneses are broke. I like that. Planning for the future is hard when you're still paying for the past. I, I'm, I'm going to give you a 60-second clip just off the front of one. Do you, you have that little clip ready? This, this is just off the front end of one of the classes. Welcome to Financial Peace University. Financial peace. These are words that just don't go together in our culture anymore. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money in their relationships, in their marriages. Too many people are struggling with this subject of money in their area of their careers. We just don't know what to do with this whole thing called money. Well, I found out something about money. Money's actually fun if you got some. <laughs> but boy, I tell you what, it does weave its way into the tapestry of our lives, and it does mess with us on just about every possible level. So we're glad you're here. I can promise you this. We are going to have some fun as we talk about money. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. I'm going to talk to you about relationships. I'm going to talk to you about your spiritual walk, your emotions, and we're going to change the way we handle our lives around this subject of money as we go through this class together. So back to the message. That's just a little clip. I just want you to see the subject of the class. It's just something to help to, to bring here. But four things that I told you I'd give you four things. So back to the message. Number one, giving is a priority. We are to give of our first fruits of what gives us the first 10%. God never tells us to do anything that he's not willing to do himself and hasn't already done. The God of creation, the God who the Bible says owns the cattle of a thousand hills, but he also owns the thousand hills that the cattle is on and the earth that the thousand hills is on, the universe that the earth is in. The God who owns it all gave his first and his only begotten. Because you and I were on our way to hell. And it looked like there was no way out. But from overhead, he could see a path through the rocks. And he made a way for you and I. Number two, we're to give proportionally. It's a pretty simple idea. Those who have more, give more. We ought to be proportional in our givings. Three times in the book of Leviticus, the Bible talks about the tenth. It says in chapter 27, verse 30, that all the tithes of the lamb, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's, and it is holy unto the Lord. If a man will redeem all of his tithes, he shall add thereunto the fifth part thereof, and concerning the tithes of the herd and of the flock, and even whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. In Genesis chapter 6, we see Abraham, that great man of God, giving a, a tithe of a tenth of what he had. Matter of fact, it was such a big deal that the writer of Hebrews wrote about it over in chapter 7. If you look a little further, I think it's chapter 28, you find that Jacob committed himself to give a tenth, to give a portion. The Bible teaches us over and over about the first 10% of everything belongs to God. To do anything else with that, is simply to steal from God. We're to take the first 10%, however much that is, is that God blesses us, and we give back that portion. Now, I've taught this before. The only reason I'm going to say this again is because I did it um, at least two years ago. I think it was three years ago, but I had some people come up to me and go, I never knew that, so I'm going to tell you this part again now. On your tithing envelope where it says regular giving, that is your tithe. The tithe belongs to God. God commands 10%. You're not offering God anything to give back what you've been commanded to do. The 10% is the tithe that is God's commandment. Anything beyond that is the offering. That's why God talks about tithes and offerings. 
the 10% belongs to God. You don't get to take your 10% and go, I'm going to put 5% of it in regular offering, 5% towards something else, or 3% towards a merge, or 2% towards missions. The first 10% goes in regular giving. That is your tithe. Anything else you want to do, anything you want to support missions, you want to put something into He's Alive, Judgment Journey, you want to help support anything else, that is your offering. That goes above and beyond your 10%. So I'll just give that a little free one because I know it's made a difference in the lives of some people um, in the past. Back to the example. God gave us his first and God gave us his best. The creator of the universe gave us a gift that will never be matched. He gave us the very best that heaven had to offer. Number three, we're to give sacrificially. David understood the art of giving sacrificially. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 24. According to the word of God, David is king of Israel, and he's dealing with Aruna, who is also a king according to the scriptures. It says Aruna looked down in chapter 24, verse 20 of 2 Samuel. If you're a note taker, Aruna looked down and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is, the Lord, is my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. Arona said unto David, let my lord the king take and offer what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here are the oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments for the oxen, of the oxen for wood. All these things did Arona as king give unto the king. And Arona said unto the king, the Lord thy God accept thee. And then the king, verse number 24, talking about David here, it says, he said to Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which does cost me, cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. David said, I will offer nothing to my God which cost me nothing. If something comes to you for free and you give it, you've not offered anything. David understood that the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Luke chapter 21, Jesus looked up, he saw the rich man casting the gifts into the treasury. He said, also, also a, per, uh, a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, of a truth, I say unto you, this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these out of their abundance have cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. The Bible says she put in two mites. A mite is an eighth of a penny. Two of them is a fourth of a penny. That's what she put in. And Jesus said she put in more than everybody else because she put in the greatest sacrifice. It's not just about the amount of money. It's the same thing with the little boy and the two small fishes. He didn't have enough to feed the multitudes, but he gave all that he had. And God took it because he was in perfect harmony, just like the piano, because he was in perfect harmony with Christ. Christ took it and made a beautiful blessing to everybody else just because he was willing to take what he had and give it to God. Amen, amen, amen. When we give sacrificially to God, it is God who supplies the increase. So it's not just the quantity that God looks at, but it's the quality of the gift that's important to God. So God sent his first God sent heaven's best, but God gave sacrificially. God didn't send Jesus to the earth. God sent Jesus to the cross. Y'all didn't hear that. He sent Jesus to die. He gave sacrificially. But then number four, this is my last one. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully, bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or in necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That means that every one of us in this building has to decide within ourselves, are we going to do the things of God? Are we going to be willing to follow the Word of God completely in every area of our lives? When we're following God completely, we're going to give joyfully to the one that gave us everything in the first place. So the example, God gave us first, God gave his best, God gave sacrificially, but God wants us to give joyfully. I want to show you the example. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. 
I know the message is a little long, but that's okay. I, I, I promise you, all I'm trying to do is get you some help. Isaiah chapter 53, if you'll turn there in your Bible, if you haven't heard anything else, I, I know we've been here a few minutes, wake the person up beside you, tell them we're almost done. Listen to this part. Don't sleep through this one. Run out and get you a cold drink of water if you need to, but hurry back in. You don't want to miss this one. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 3, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. He is despised and rejected of men. This is why he came. This is what he stepped out of heaven for. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Anybody looking? I want you to look carefully. Right there at the first part of number 10. You heard what happened to him. You know the story of the cross, right? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That word bruised comes from a Hebrew word, dog call. It means to crumble. It means to crush. It means to beat into pieces. It means to break. It means to destroy what that text says is that it pleased God to crush, to beat to pieces, to destroy his only begotten son. Though he had done no violence, though there was no deceit in his mouth, it pleased the father to crush his son. The text goes on, he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. How could it please God to do that to Jesus? How could it please God to crush, beat to pieces, destroy his only begotten son? Because from above looking down, he could see that we were surrounded by the fire and we needed a way out. And that's why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He could see, he sent this pamphlet down from heaven. Here's your instructions. Here's the way to the narrow path. Walk ye in it. Here's the only way out of the problem. Stay on the narrow path. He sent it down and said, here's the way. But too many just want to ignore it. I'll do things my way. God was pleased to give because he understood the rewards that it carried. He was focused on the lasting outcome, knowing that he would have you and I for all of eternity. He fo focused on the everlasting outcome rather than the momentary suffering of his son. That's what caused him to give sacrificially, yet give joyfully. God made you and I to be givers. You can't be happy unless you're giving. There's not a person in here, every one of you, raise your hand. If I ask you, have you ever given to something, something to somebody? You ever did something? You did an angel Christmas tree. You gave something. To, I don't, you did anything. You gave somebody something. And, and they, man, they enjoyed it so much. There was such a great joy within you. you. You loved that. That's because we were created to give. God made us that way. It talks about better to give than to receive. We're, we're like a conduit. God made us to be a conduit. We're supposed to take what comes and, and transfer it on down the line. We're not supposed to be hoarders. We're, we're like a dam. We live here on West Point Lake. That'd be a good illustration. That'd be easy for you to understand. A dam holds back the water. And it creates a great reservoir upstream. It doesn't matter if you're just a little beaver dam on a stream and you're backing up a small swamp. 
Or if you're like the Hoover Dam and you're backing up trillions of gallons of water. It doesn't matter what size dam you are. It doesn't matter how big your reservoir is. Here's a proven fact. If the output going out doesn't equal the size of the input coming in, your dam will break. God does not put into us to hoard. He puts it into us that we send the blessings downstream. That we might be a blessing to others. Look at the reason why. I, I'm just, God, God told us. Malachi chapter 3, I told you, went on verse number 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Improve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing. There shall not be room enough to receive it. God says, just tempt me right here. Just try me. All I want you to do is put me to the test in this one area. I know the Bible says thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, but not here. God says, I want you to put me to the test. But I want you to look at the reason why. The focus of the text isn't on the giving. The, the focus of the text isn't on that there may be meat in mine house. God owns everything. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything you've got. The focus is on you. The focus is on that I may open the windows of heaven and pour you a blessing. That there not be room enough to receive it. God says, it's not about me. It's not about what you give me. Here's all, I just want you to test me because I got something that I want to give you. And if you'll just be obedient, I'm going to hold my word true. How many of you know that God is faithful? How many of you believe that God will hold up his end of the deal? I, I, God offers us a proposition. Put me to the test and let me prove myself to you. That's what he says. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're going to have millions in the bank. I'll go ahead and tell you that one. text doesn't even say that. The Bible doesn't say that. It says all your needs will be met. God will supply your needs. God will take care of you. So I'm, I'm going to give you just a couple of little opportunities. Number one, I, I want you to commit to this financial class. If there's any way, if you need some help, if you, if you could use some help financially, if you want to learn something about God's principles and giving, you want God to help you out, I want you to just come to the meeting. And, and Rich will talk with you and see what the financial class is about. I just want to try to get you some help. But, but at some point, you're going to have to make a commitment to God. I'll make it this easy on you. There's a box sitting in the middle of that foyer right out there on that table. It's just a box with a little slot. It's called the dollar box. You commit to putting $1 every Sunday, and that's all I want you to do. You know what the box is for? It's to be a blessing to somebody. Surely we can afford $1. If you can't, do, do this. If, if you can't afford a dollar, at least give it to your children. And let your children go put a dollar so that they learn the art of giving. So that they understand that by giving to God, that God's going to bless their lives. At least let your children's lives be blessed with the things of God. At least let them learn how to live a godly, principled life. I'll tell you what else I want you to do. You, you can write it down. You can give it to me later. I don't have time this morning. But, but I, want, I want your ideas of, of the how we're going to bless the community with that dollar box. It's not my box. It's yours. And the whole purpose of that is to bless the community. I want you to think of some people in the community, maybe some homes, some children's homes. I don't, I don't know. You've got ideas that I don't know. But what I want you to do is I want you to write down, hand me some stuff on some pieces of paper on what we can do to be a blessing to somebody in this community. And we'll take that box every week, and I will appropriate it to one of those so that every week, if everybody in here put $1 in, we have $450, $500 that we could take, and we could go be a blessing to somebody in Troop County, Georgia this year. Wouldn't that be awesome to be able to do that every week? Give me some ideas. Don't, don't, not, not your personal checking account number and a deposit slip. But a way to be a blessing in the community. That God might help us reach LaGrange, Georgia. Listen, make a commitment. C commit $10 a week until you work to a real tithe. Just put God to the test. God's the one that told us to do it. God's the one that told us to take the challenge. When you can't see your way out, God can. I know a lot of times it seems like we're surrounded in this world and in, in this financial devastation that we're in and in this trap, but God knows the way out. He has a path, and he really wants to show it to you. So the message is when you can't see the way out. The rest of the message is try trusting the one who can. Could I have you stand this morning? If God has blessed you, I, I want you to take a few minutes and 
come thank him for all the blessings that he's given you. I want you to just come tell him thank you for all of the, the health, the finances, the family, all the blessings that God's given you. This is the first Sunday of 2019. We need to take time to thank God for what he did for us in 2018, for what he's done every day of our lives up to now, so that he might bless us in 2019. If you, if you need help in the area of finances, it's okay. Pray for it. Ask for it. Ask God to help you. But be willing to fulfill the commandments of his word so that he might do his part if we do ours. It's okay to ask God to help me be everything. Listen, there's not a one of us in here that hasn't struggled at some point in time. There's not a one of us in here that hasn't struggled at some point in time with the concept of giving back to God. Something nobody knows about, right? It's our own little secret. Nobody knows if I do, nobody knows if I don't. Nobody knows what I do or what I don't. God does. And it matters to God so much so that in this occasion, at the end of the Old Testament, He said, prove me. He said, all I want to do is I want to take all the blessings that heaven has to offer. And I want to open the windows. And I want to pour you out a blessing. You understand, he says that there not be room enough to receive it. That, that means your dam can't hold it. I want to send you so much that your reservoir is full and you have a constant flow of blessing going downstream so that the gospel might be preached. I want to do that through you. I just want to bless you. But I need you to follow my word so that I can. That's what God's word says. While we're praying this morning, I, listen, I, I know I ain't preached nothing on salvation, but I can tell you this, it's the most important thing we'll ever do. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says you're on your way to hell. The first thing you have to do is be saved. Are you willing to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Are you willing to say, Lord, I am a sinner? That's first and foremost. It must be confession of our own mouth. Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to save my soul in Jesus' name. You can say a prayer like that from your heart to God. And you can be as much a child of God as anybody else in the